listening to the Locked On Broncos podcast, hosted by Cody Rourke, your daily Broncos podcast. Change is brewing in Dove Valley, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the show here on Monday, January 13th. The Broncos have made a change on their coaching staff. They've removed Rich Scandrillo, and now they are working things in place to make the deal for Pat Shermer official as their new OC. Plus, we hear from Mario Vitanzi in the return of Well Adjusted, a five-part interview series. We're breaking it down here on parts one and two on today's episode of Locked On Broncos. I'm your host, Cody Rourke, NFL analyst and Broncos insider for the Locked On NFL Network. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. Follow the show on Twitter as well at Locked On Broncos. But it was a crazy day in the Broncos realm of things. And obviously in the playoff atmosphere too for the NFL. The Houston Texans were up 24-0 at one point and then got blown out. Consequently, after that, outscored 34-0 in the second quarter by the Kansas City Chiefs, and then the rest was history. The Chiefs would go on to steamroll them. But the news for the Broncos came during that game, and it was announced, and it came out of nowhere. The Broncos had fired Rich Scangarello, first-year offensive coordinator for the Broncos this past season, and it was a move that nobody expected. We were all shocked, uh, but one of the reasons factoring into that decision Led by Broncos head coach Vic Fangio, the Broncos ranked dead last bottom five in the NFL in terms of total yards per game, points per game, third down conversion, obviously conversion in the red zone area. And they wanted to look elsewhere because if you look at what the Kansas City Chiefs offense did after being down 24 to zero against the Houston Texans, the Broncos need to somehow be able to find that way to match that type of offensive output and production. So exit Rich Scandrello and enter Pat Shermer, who spent the last two seasons as the head coach for the New York Giants. And one of the more intriguing aspects about Shermer to the Broncos came with Drew Locke. Now, Shermer, when he was the head coach for the New York Giants, he wanted to select Drew Locke. There was some intrigue there. He had some interest there. But the Giants organization ultimately decided to go with Daniel Jones. This factored into part of Shermer's decision to join the Broncos staff. And Vic Fangio wanted a guy with experience that can turn an offense into a high-scoring offense. If you guys want to reference any part of what Shermer's offensive capabilities can be. Go back to the 2017 Minnesota Vikings offense led by Case Keenum who had his best year as a professional athlete under Shermer's offensive system and that's what led to him getting the job with the New York Giants but obviously that's a whole nother story due to the dysfunctional level of the Giants organization. Ultimately the wins did not translate as a head coach for Shermer but there was some optimism that he can be a very good offensive coordinator and he can work with Drew Locke on the necessary tools and also implement a variety of different schemes including RPOs to benefit this offense and you almost have to assure with this type of move here the Broncos will look at wide receiver in the NFL draft and I think it's really predicated off of three wide receiver sets and obviously your offensive line you know we go back to Minnesota they didn't have the best offensive line in 2017 but the biggest thing was is the offense improvised for the fact that they were deficient at some positions at the tackle position back in Minnesota so something to keep an eye on for the Broncos and I think one of the things too here with Rich Scangarello according to a source there was a lot of miscommunication and it seemed as if the game suddenly got too fast for Scangarello once he got off script with the offensive game plan and that could also equip to maybe why the Broncos offensive productivity was all the way down to the bottom tiers of the National Football League though in Drew Locke's couple of starts there were some problems he scored 38 points you have that great offensive output against the Houston Texans and you also play relatively well down the stretch overall through the course of the last five games and the offense 
improved a little bit, but the Broncos were not so sure heading into 2020 that maybe Scangarello was going to be the guy. And like I said, we were all blown away by this move on Sunday. It was highly unexpected, but this move by Vic Fangio and the Broncos organization, it comes due to the fact that they believe that there is a better option out there. Even after the fact season was over and at his end of the year press conference, he had mentioned, you know, I don't foresee any types of changes to the staff. Shermer becoming available immediately led Vic Fangio to look into that and obviously to reach out to him. And it's a move that escalated very quickly. And ultimately, Shermer lands with the Denver Broncos. So hopefully in 2020, we can look at this Broncos offense as climbing and maybe having a more veteran, experienced play caller can help the Broncos out there because they have that element at the defensive side with Donatel and Fangio calling the defense. Now, a guy who's been in the National Football League for a long time has massive and important play play calling experience that can factor into maybe how the Broncos can be successful going forward here in 2020 and beyond. So the Broncos, they fire their OC on Sunday and they hire their OC on Sunday. And now all things are moving forward for the 2020 season as the Broncos prepare for the NFL draft and the NFL free agency period beginning in March and April. Now, coming up here in just a moment, we're going to continue our well-adjusted series. Mario Vitanzi joins the broadcast once again for a five-part interview series. We have parts one and two on today's episode of the show. You guys are going to get parts three, four, and five on Tuesday's episode of the show. We dive into a lot of topics regarding the Broncos, Garrett Bowles, the offensive struggles, maybe how the Broncos 0-4 start could be acquitted to the long summer that they had had with the five preseason game schedule. We dive into all that and much more coming up here in just a moment. But before we do that, I got to tell you about the sponsors of today's episode of the show. That's our good friends over there at Echelon and Blue Chew. Now, first, let's get started here with Echelon. With a lot of people's New Year's resolutions being to get fit in 2020, you don't have to go to a gym or pay a ton of money for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Now go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everybody, whether you're a busy mother or a busy father, first responders, and even elite athletes. Whatever your activity level is, Echelon has something for you. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon here in 2020. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under a thousand dollars now go to echelonfit.com slash l-o-n-f-l to learn more about their limited time free apple ipad and complete details of this exclusive offer echelon it's your time that's e-c-h-e-l-o-n fit.com slash l-o-n-f-l echelonfit.com slash l-o-n-f-l Now, we saw the NFL playoffs this week, and the Tennessee Titans offense had a heavy dose of an effective run game led by Derrick Henry. So let Blue Chew be the Derrick Henry to your offensive game inside the bedroom. So let's talk about sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance, and you can get that extra confidence in the bedroom today. So listen up right here. Go to BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable tablet with the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. 
work. You could take them anytime, whether that's day or night, even on Monday when The Bachelor is on with your girlfriend. Even if you take it on a full stomach after you ate a full course meal at your favorite restaurant, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill does. So you could be ready whenever the opportunity arises for you and your partner. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants a little bit of extra function to enhance their offensive efficiency in the red zone in the bedroom. Bluetooth's prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no more in-person doctor's visit. No more waiting in the pharmacy. And the best part of it all, there's no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, that makes them cheaper than what you'd pay at a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can visit BlueChew.com and you can get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code Locked On. All you're going to do is pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com promo code Locked On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice. We want to thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Now, I'm joined by Mario Vitanzi. We're bringing it back. Well-adjusted, and you guys can expect it back weekly during the NFL regular season once it starts up in 2020. Uh, Mario, it's been a long time, man, but fans have been very excited about getting you back here on Lockdown Broncos, and we got a lot to talk about today. I don't know why they're so excited, man. Like, I like to be positive and also bring truth, and that's like the opposite kind of stuff that you get from literally everybody at the fan. So, you know, if people want me back, man, I come back. I feel like you're just saying that to make me feel better. I think Cody Rourke wants me back and maybe the uh, maybe the fans are kind of divided. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, we're going to take early and often shots, uh, Cody, at some of the uh, some of the quote unquote radio personalities here in Denver. Uh, So, you know, I I guess I, I just want everybody to be prepared for that. Bringing it straight shot, no chasers, and that's Mario's way of, of doing it. And we're going to bring it big, but chasers are for quitters. Let's let's talk about it. Let's dive into the brunt of 2019. Now, look, we we talked about it going into the off season. You know, going into training camp, Vic Fangio was going to come in. He's an old school style of coach, and there you know there's been conflicting reports here and there. And as you mentioned, some of those media outlets have plugged some of the wrong narratives into things, and and certainly there's some truth in some other things in terms of how the old school approach you know doesn't always work for some players. But what were your expectations. I mean, knowing what you know, I mean, spending time with Broncos players, working them, getting their bodies rights for game days on Sunday, you know, the the training aspect of it, we saw it at training camp. I mean, these guys were out there a lot. They were doing a lot of uh, a lot of drills, a lot of team stuff. They were getting a lot of reps. Uh, what was the transition from training camp to the preseason all the way up to the regular season for you, from your opinion, from working with Broncos players? Bottom line, man, is they were in training camp for too long. They started before literally every other team, and then they weren't released from camp until damn near every other team, which put them in training camp way longer. And look, man, I'm going to level with level with everybody. I understand that this is their job, that they play football for a living. They're compensated well. But if you want what they do to translate into success, there has to be some sort of middle ground where you meet as far as how training camp goes. They were in camp way too long. And when I say they're in camp, that means they're in hotels, dudes with families, with multiple kids, with wives, like things going on outside of football. And again, I get it. They are paid really, really well to play a game, but it's a mental fatigue. And I had tweeted out something early in the season 
when they started 0-4, Cody, and it shouldn't have been that big of a surprise because training camp, like you as a casual, someone as a casual observer, they're not going to see it. They're like, wow, they do training camp every year. And, you know, they just need to not be big babies. And that that was the narrative, right? I tweeted out and said training camp was way too long, way too arduous. And, you know, the uneducated people came back at me and said, well, the starters barely played in any games. Like, y'all don't understand the games – aren't the issue they would rather the starters would have rather played three quarters to a full game as opposed to going in at 7 a.m being done at 8 p.m having maybe a couple hours a day to see their family max and then going back to the team hotel sleeping there rinse repeat it was long arduous hours it's not just physical it's not that these guys aren't tough and and that that really was the culture that Fangio was trying to uh was trying to introduce right was the old school toughness and there is a place for that but you got to toe that line man you can't push it overboard and something that a lot of people disregard is the mental aspect you have to be so mentally tough to play this game these guys are going out there. They're basically getting in a car crash from someone that works on their bodies week in and week out. They're basically in a car crash every week and they have to recover fully by the next week. So when everybody was wondering why, you know, they were coming out flat, defense wasn't getting the turnovers or the sacks that they were expecting in this Fangio defense. And again, like I know Fangio was in Chicago, but he wasn't the head coach. He wasn't in charge of training camp schedule. He did things his way. And though the players respect him, they like him, they'll run through a wall for him. There were guys that were like, man, maybe not even complaining, but just saying, man, I wish we could just like just chill a little bit on this schedule because it was a lot. And I think that he's going to get that feedback in his second year, Coach Vic, that is, and say, all right, we're still going to have long hours. We're still going to do this, but we're going to back it up just a little bit. And honestly, not having to play in that stupid-ass Hall of Fame game is going to be huge. Because, <laughs> Cody, every year like we get excited because the Hall of Fame game, it's like, all right, football is back, right? Before preseason games is already too many. Now you make a team have to do five and then they're convening even earlier because they have a new head coach. They were doomed from the start. And that's why they got off to such a slow start. And if people want to call me out, call me out. But I guarantee the people calling me out for possibly not knowing what I'm talking about don't know nearly as much of the inner workings of this team that I do. So come at me at Mile High Mario. What's up? Well, think about it this way, too. You mentioned those final three preseason games. They played three in a span of about 14 days. That is not good for the body. You know this as well. I mean, you see it as as much as anybody else. You know, for example, and and I'll give a little health analogy here because I go to my chiropractor all the damn time. Uh, You know, one moment you're playing in a football game. You know, after the game, you're beat up, you're sore, you got that lactic acid in your body. You go and you get adjusted and they find, okay, your your right hip is a lot taller right now than your left side of your hip. I mean, that is how out of whack people's bodies get. Oh, come on, Cody. Hit me with it. Let's go. (laughs) And for me, Cody knows some stuff, ladies and gentlemen. For me, too. I knew it was when I tore my ACL. I would go back periodically to my chiropractor and my left knee, my surgically operated knee was a 
lot taller than my right knee because I, I didn't have that flexion or that extension. And you mentioned scar tissue. You break up a lot of that and that's tough and it's painful. So a lot of people don't know the recovery process that goes into these players on Sundays, which is, you know, I'm glad we got you on here. Mario is a, is a doctor, ladies and gentlemen. But, uh, you know, Mario, I, I think you hit it right on the head there. I think Vic Fangio, based on what I've been told, based on what I've heard from players is, you know, there were times where veterans would go to him and they would bring suggestions to him at the midway part of the season. And he kind of adapted to that. I mean, he gave guys certain days off during the week of practice. Which which is good, Cody, because early on in the season when they did that during training camp and some of the veterans were like, hey, we got to back it off, was not well received. So, yeah, Fangio, Fangio kind of changed his ways a little bit, lightened up a little bit, started to get into the swing of things. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and I think for players, too, you know, you look at Von Miller, Derek Wolf, you know, they have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, I think the thing that I've heard about Vic Fangio, he treats every single player the same way. It doesn't matter if you're Von Miller. It doesn't matter if you're a practice squad player. You're going to get the same treatment. Uh, and I think that's what the Broncos needed. And we talked about this earlier on the season, you know, the difference between Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio, you know, Vance laid back guy, a guy that, you know, players could look at as friendly and they can have that kind of friendship towards him. They view him as a friend, great human being, but it didn't seem like they had enough respect for him as a coach due to that nature there. But going into the season, you mentioned the 0-4 start. A lot of that I could say, you know, you play a five-game preseason slate. That is the worst possible element that you can possibly do because we were there at training camp. It was hot as hell. I mean, one moment we were lucky we had cloud cover for 10 minutes and then the sun was back out. These guys are at altitude. They're banging on each other. You know, there's fights. I loved it that Derek Wolf and Adam Gotsis were the uh, the first kind of people to get a fight in with Connor McGovern during the training camp. Who 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 else would it be aside from Derek? Right, <laughs> the, the training camp doesn't officially start until Derek gets into some sort of scuffle it had to be with an somebody. Lineman, but it was him and Connor McGovern. I, I don't know if Garrett Bowles would be the one to throw the fight because look, Garrett's a nice dude. I, I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to get into a fight at training camp. Yeah, Garrett's more of a talker on the field. Like some of the guys said, man, he says some absolutely insane stuff but he yeah he's, he's not gonna like fight and get into physical altercations for the most part he kind of says stuff to try and get under dude's skin uh but yeah not really not really the the physical kind of uh kind of issues well we saw the one fight too i mean between two offensive players manuel sanders Corlin sutton those guys were uh those guys were throwing haymakers and uh you know that was a, a wild day i remember it created a lot of speculation i mean the fan had a field day with that type of altercation when it comes to emmanuel sanders well, of course they did. They're going to run with anything that's the least bit negative, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's become their MO over the course of the season. Certainly that's a narrative we know all too well on the media waves here in the Broncos. And we're going to get to a little bit more of that. I want to dive into that, especially what Emmanuel Sanders had said, some of his comments. And I feel like it'd be very good to dive into that. But before we do that, I got to tell you guys, if you love the Lockdown Broncos podcast, you're listening right now, it would mean the world to us if you go to Apple Podcasts right now, search Lockdown Broncos, click on write a review. If you love the show, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you love the most about the show. We'll give you a shout out here on the air, but always get in the action, get in the mix here on Lockdown Broncos. Well, speaking of Emmanuel Sanders here, he just uh, did an interview with the fan. Obviously, the 49ers won their playoff game and, you know, good for Emmanuel Sanders, hoping the best for him over there. And it almost seemed like the kind of questions that they threw his way were almost like bait. It almost seemed like they baited him. They were trying to indict him, man. His comment yeah. was along the lines about the difference between, you know, how Kyle Shanahan is in terms of how, you know, just the approaches overall, that there's Yeezys, there's hip-hop music playing in the locker room and things like that. But uh, I don't think you compare the two. I mean, obviously, Vic, an old-school guy, 
guy. He'd been in the NFL for over 40 plus years. Kyle Shanahan, a guy that connects really well with his players, and, but he also draws that fine line between, look, you know, we're, we're business on Sundays. We're business during practice. You know, you got to like that. But I feel like just the, the narratives that people throw out, you know, everyone wants to say, okay, well, former Broncos always taking shots. I get that. That happens. But I didn't perceive Emmanuel Sanders' comments as necessarily a shot to Denver. I, I just say it was more descriptive of his situation right now. He's trying to win another ring before he retires. And a lot of people took it, you know, out of context. What were your thoughts on Emmanuel Sanders' uh, interview with the fan? I mean, first off, and I think Emmanuel had tweeted something like this. He's like, man, why did I why did I go on to the station? You know, something like that. It's like, yeah, they're, they're trying to bait him into stuff. And you look at Emmanuel's uh not even predicament, but the situation that he's in right now, man, he's, he's in the playoffs. He's on the number one seed. You know, he went from a team that really kind of stopped throwing him the ball. Like the offense had little to no success early on in the season. And when they did have success, they were throwing him the ball. And as it kind of got on later, and I think it was that chargers game, uh, when they finally got a win, ironically enough, where he, he had maybe one catch for seven yards or something like that. Emmanuel, I'm not going to call him a me first guy because he he's an excellent teammate from what I've heard. But you're a wide receiver, man. You make your money off catching passes, catching touchdowns. And that's what he wants to do. And I will never indict or come down on a receiver for saying, hey, Throw me the damn ball. You should want them to throw you the ball, especially when he was having the success that he was having. Like he was the only dude scoring touchdowns early on in the season. So I had no problem with that. But now you you put him on a team where they're getting him the ball. And I think when he went over to San Francisco and he had some of the biggest games that he had had all year and he was there for a cup of coffee before he did it. Like, yeah, it it, kind of shows the Broncos offense in a bad line. Granted, they got going later in the season a little bit once Drew Locke took over and maybe things would have changed. But Emmanuel wasn't focused on the Broncos. You know, he's, he's in the playoffs. He's focusing on a playoff game. And I don't harbor any sort of resentment that he doesn't want to talk Broncos. Like it's in the past. He had a great time here. Everybody loved him. He won a ring here. He's a big part of that Super Bowl team. Move on. Like, why even have him on there? They knew that he was going to make divisive comments just because he's a 49er now. This is the business. You tip your cap to the team that you left, and then you're all in on your current team. And that's how it should be. So, like we said, man, they baited him into certain things. They wanted it to stir up controversy. They wanted to write something negative like, oh, see, Emmanuel Sanders had bad things to say about the Broncos and then he came back and you know he kind of rectified it like look let me just clear the air I want the Broncos to be good he he, he threw out some nice comments about Drew Locke and you got to take it with a grain of salt man this is what they wanted from Emmanuel and they got it and I think Broncos fans too, they have a, a deeply found appreciation for him and Demarius Thomas, who got so much unnecessary, unwarranted hate, you know, from Broncos fans. You know, I, I think that's the thing with media these days. Amari, you've been around the scene and, and, you know, you're good friends with Benjamin Albright. You know, you gotta, you gotta spin it real these days because a lot of people, it's all about hot takes. It's all about reactionary kind of commentary that gets clicks. And, you know, we all fall into that trap at times, which I like your little hashtag that you created. Look, man, I don't even want to say that name because I don't want him to get any more attention than he did. 
But when this individual wrote that article about why Justin Simmons didn't deserve the Pro Bowl, and and I'm not going to get into it, Cody, because I'm just going to get mad because it was absolute nonsense. I had muted this individual and ended up blocking him because in that article, he used one of my tweets. And I get Twitter's a public forum. Everything is open. Like, he's allowed to use it. But he's leaving. I'm like, I don't want you to use my tweet. So that's why I had to block him. Like, I don't want him to have access to my stuff. And then I tweeted, I'm like, man, this really doesn't help his narrative that Justin Simmons is a is a second team all pro. And he's right about why he didn't deserve the Pro Bowl. And Earl Thomas did. And we all saw Earl Thomas get turned around by Derrick Henry in the playoff game right after he had come out and said, oh, the Patriots didn't seem interested in tackling him. It's like, my safety would never. He came up in that game, too. Him and Kareem Jackson have become a very solid duo in the National Football League. And I I do believe that going into next year, when the Broncos do pay him, it's going to happen. They're not going to let Justin Simmons walk. I believe they're going to have a top tandem in the National Football League. I believe that they are very productive. Their skill sets benefit one another. Justin Simmons, he was put in a position by Vic Fangio this year. When I go back and I compare it to Joe Wood's defense, they had Justin Simmons doing everything in Joe Wood's style of defense, playing a lot of cover zero, a lot of cover one, and it didn't put him in very opportune situations to have success. It put a lot of pressure on him, but Vic Fangio seemingly placed him in the right spots, and and look, we saw him have more confidence coming up against the run this year, shedding blocks. I mean, he was in on every tackle. I mean, that's why he was one of the leading tacklers on the team. He really evolved here in year four, and I, you know, I tell you what, I've been a big fan of Justin Simmons is a great human being on and off the field. You know this as well as I do. But let's talk about somebody else here, somebody who gets a lot of unwarranted trash talk by Broncos fans. And anytime, you know, this guy, these two guys that we're actually going to bring up, anytime they make a mistake, these guys, you know, it's cut this guy, release this guy, trade this guy. But let's talk about Garrett Bowles. Look, you know, he had uh, week two, the Chicago Bears, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack. He did have a rough game, and I know bad holding game. penalties. Really, really bad game. Holding penalties, everybody's going to freak out about I get it you know he's got to work on some things in his technique but to ignore the fact that he actually played pretty damn good from the midpoint of the season all the way to the end I I don't know what people's narratives are but one little mistake all of a sudden we forget all the good that a player has done give me the story on Garrett Bowles because look I I have a lot of respect for him I think he played pretty well from the midpoint year all the way to the end of the season and everybody's saying they need to trade him I think uh got to go back and watch the film a lot more so I'm just going to come out and say, like, I'm not going to try and sound like a Garrett Bowles sympathizer. He has to clean up the holding penalties, plain and simple. He really does. And I get it. I'm pretty sure he had the most holding penalties in the NFL. But penalties, you know, it's one of those things, Cody, like, would you rather your left tackle have a holding penalty or would you rather him give up a sack? You know, there's a difference between first and 20 and second and 17, second and 18. Like, Gotta gotta clean it up. And once he once he got to the point where he was blocking for a better quarterback, like were there breakdowns, were there mental lapses? Yes. The Raiders baited him into a penalty. We saw it in week 17. And that was exactly what they wanted to get out of him because they knew that they could do that. This is a little bit of a cheap move, but when you're trying to win a game, all's fair. Right. So if he cleans that up and then what was the narrative when Munchak came in? Oh, Munchak's going to get a hold of him. He's going to clean everything up. That that kind of stuff doesn't happen overnight. Like you saw exactly. You saw as the season went on, 
he got better and better. And I know, like, the same kind of thing happened last season. He struggled early on, started to find a groove, and people were like, well, we've been burned before. It's like, yeah, but now that he's kind of had a, almost an entire – he's had an entire season, almost an entire year of having Munchek as a coach, things are starting to sink in. And I think what a lot of people forget, Cody, is he really hasn't been playing football for that long. And this is a very difficult position to play, especially in the NFL, because you're under a microscope. I mean, quarterback is at the top of the list of if you start messing up, people want to yank you right away. Left tackle is second on that list because you're under a microscope. You're protecting the quarterback's blind side. And so coming into the season, I thought, man, he's got a guy in Joe Flacco where he's going to go through his reads, going to get rid of the ball quickly. And that really wasn't the case. Flacco was an absolute statue back there. And we've all seen the, the sack stats, you know, as, as far as how many sacks Drew Locke took versus how many sacks Flacco took. And it was it was a complete night and day difference. You know, it's almost like Locke was going through his reads faster than Flacco. He was much more mobile, obviously. And he got sacked way fewer times. You know, the game that he got sacked the most was in that Chiefs game when, you know, this their stupid ass franchise decided not to put tarp down on the field because they wanted to play in the snow. That puts the Broncos at a disadvantage. And, you know, the, the offensive linemen are on skates. And, and the reason I say it was at a disadvantage, we had like, what, two or three defensive linemen that were out. We had a bunch of, you know, dudes that they had signed off the street and rookies that were trying to rush the passer, whereas they have some all world guys coming at you. So, you know, I, I've heard you, you throw the film out on that. And I think we all agreed to that. Like, well, throw the film out with Drew Locke. Like it was bad conditions. If you're going to do that for Drew Locke, honestly, you have to extend the same courtesy to the offensive line. And with Drew Locke under center, that was really the one kind of subpar performance that the offensive line put together. Uh, And if you throw that out, the offensive line performed extremely well with Drew Locke as the quarterback. And it just seems like he has that it factor. So Garrett kind of came along. And now that he has another season under his belt and he's he's starting to get the hang of the left tackle position, he played one year at Utah. That's what people forget. He played one year of Division I football. He was a first-round pick. There were a ton of expectations for him. And I'll tell you what, man, say what you will about him. All the crap, all the animosity, all the flack that he's gotten thrown his way over his first three years, that would break, mentally break, the majority of people that it would happen to. I mean, when you got every day on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever – People saying they need to cut him. He's terrible. Just dudes going in on him relentlessly. A lot of players would not be able to kind of rise above it and come out better on the other side. And that's exactly what he did in the second half of the season. So, again, not going to be a Garibald sympathizer. I'm going to repeat, he has to clean up the holds. He has to. They got better as the season went on. And hopefully he continues to develop because honestly, Cody, there are a lot of needs on this team. I'm not one. I'm not one of these guys that says you absolutely have to draft a tackle in the first round, especially because the top three guys are likely going to be gone by the time the Broncos pick. Take a luxury guy, get a tackle. They have three third round picks, get a tackle either the second round or some point in the third train him up. But then another thing about Garrett, man, is he hasn't missed a game. He played every single snap. This last season, I don't know who's working on him four times a week, and I'm sure that might have something to do with it. You know, just a little uh, just to throw that out there. But really, his availability is great. And then I saw people crapping on all, all over that man like, oh, he's he has good attendance and that's what we like about him. It's like, yeah. I would rather have what Garrett Bowles did than what Juwan James did. And Juwan James got, what, 50-something million dollars 
to play essentially two games. Like, yeah, availability is kind of a big deal in this league. I absolutely agree with Mario on this standpoint, which we're going to get to the rest of well-adjusted parts three and four and five in tomorrow's episode of the show here. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to tune in. Appreciate you guys here on this Monday, the College Football National Championships. And plus, we're going to have a little bit more insight later on this week for the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship, breaking things down for you guys here. Very excited about that. But ladies and gentlemen, have a great one. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And we hope you guys have been locked in to Lockdown Broncos here today.